0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason Odell,
1: and I'm
0: Rick Walker. Because apparently, we're drawing out our. Words I was thinking today. about it. I had to think. <laughs> we, we were we were off last week, so uh, I had to think Where? what I was actually going to say. Hi, Rick. <laughs> How are you doing? Hey, Jason. I'm doing fine.
1: Good. I'm good. We go back to normal speed now. I'm assuming right. you are too.
0: No, I was just cha- channeling my inner, you know, co-host, uh, uh, handoff thing, you know, where we talk to each yep, other, but, yep. uh, um, Some uh,
1: banter mixed in there, all those things.
0: Yeah. Something like that. So, um, we had a list of, of topics to talk about today and I don't remember what they are. So maybe you can help jog my brain.
1: <laughs> I'll help. We're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, your Panama trip, mm-hmm. how that went. Any interesting takeaways from it? Things like that. And then we're going to branch into uh, a very related topic um, which has to do with what we're doing today in the way of noise reduction and what our thoughts are um, right now about the (laughs) products that are out there. And it may change next week. (laughs) Yes, it does. Good change. That's the problem. Good change.
0: Um, Things are rapidly advancing. So if you're
1: listening to this 4 months later potentially oh, ignore that whole section.
0: Yeah. So this is, it'll be good today. This is the April of uh 23 edition or something. Yeah. Like. I think that's where we are right now. Hey, my daffodils yeah. have come up and bulbs and there's a little color in the yard and it's uh, it's it's nice. It I more subjects to to potentially play around with. Um so yeah, we weren't here last week cuz I was out of the country um, for a little over a week. Met a group of clients in Panama City, Panama. Which
1: maybe before we do that It was fun. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll we'll very quickly insert a message from our sponsor, which is us? ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> about an upcoming workshop where you could also meet up with us, and it's the um, one that we have the, our, at, our photo safari at national park.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's within, well, it's I, I would call it a photo safari more than a workshop. Yeah because i mean there will be yeah, instructional use, content but but the purpose of this trip is photography not not classrooms
1: we're not going to sit in a classroom
0: no yet. at all so we have and uh and have fun. we have uh five people already signed up for that trip meaning we are good to go and we've capped it at eight right so there are three spots left as of right now and that can change um but the one thing i would so the two things i think we want to mention um this is for the first week of october it's like october 1st through 5th i, I want to say um up in estes park colorado flying to denver pretty easy drive from there and then uh if you book by the end of this month so you have just a few days left um it's discounted by i think a hundred dollars um so the good news is though we've met and exceeded our minimum group size. So we are planning on on going. So if, if you were on the fence about about this trip, not sure if it was gonna happen or not, we can unequivocally say it is going forward as planned. Yeah, Anything we're else? pretty psyched about
1: it. It's, it's a fun place. Um, and the Park Service has done some good things to improve conditions that frustrated us a little bit in years past um so we're looking forward to some really nice shooting and it's just a wonderful blend of landscapes and wildlife and with the wildlife it's you know a nice variety including larger uh, mammals and we'll be hoping for fall colors
0: should be changing aspens so we'll do some aspen grove shooting which is always good everybody likes aspen photos i mean they're pretty I
1: certainly yep. do. And we'll go up on Trail Rich Road, which goes very, very high above timberline and is really pretty and has some nice animal opportunities off of it, too, like marmots and
0: um, nuthatches, birds, and elk. And well, the elk will probably be lower at that time of the year. So the elk yeah. will be down And in I the have, in the main I area. have
1: on occasion seen bighorn sheep and mountain mm-hmm. goats up there. We'll um, just see what we see so it's it's fun
0: so it'll be like opportunistic wildlife shooting and then mm-hmm. a lot of landscape and uh fall color shooting so it should be great yep. um on, on the, so and the land please just
1: join us yep you'll find info on
0: on our facebook page as Get well up. as your website yep uh it's all out there with links to register if you're interested so we'd love to have you join yep. us if you could all right um so panama yeah, it was fun. Really fun I mean, time. so this was my third trip down there, believe it or not. I've now been to Panama. Mm-hmm. three. I got three stamps in my passport book mm-hmm. now uh, from there. It's, um, you know, it's really easy to get down. I mean, it's you know, airline hassles aside, you know, it's uh, you fly six hours nonstop from Denver, but you only go one time zone. <laughs> so or well, at least this time of year, they, they don't do daylight savings. Yeah, so, so in yeah. the winter, they'll be on Eastern time. Mm-hmm. And in and on, when we're on daylight savings, they're on central us time and us being here in mountain time, then I only had one time zone, but at worst, you're only talking about at, at the very worst case, three time zones. If you're in the continental us, you know, going from say Pacific to Eastern, you know, that would be the most you'd have to deal with. Um, and this kind of year. work similarly for Canada. Yeah. Well, one of my clients was from Toronto. <laughs> I'm just so, kidding. Or, well, no, it came down from Canada. So that was great. Yeah. No, we had, no. I had an international clientele. But Thanks Panama is like a really, really convenient place to go. It's very it's it's surprisingly modern. I think people freak out. The first time they see downtown Panama City because it's financial you know all the banks are based down there for the canal and, and mm-hmm. you know so there's huge high-rise buildings and very modern everything and everything is the U.S. dollar so you go to the ATM and go to the bank to get some money and it gives you $20 bills you know U.S. and so mm-hmm. um, really really easy to to deal with and then so I met my clients uh, we we took a an excursion that was recommended to me from my previous clients we went out to a we were actually on the Panama Canal this time in the lake area. Uh, so, just quick on the Panama Canal, the central zone was all basically created by, as a man-made lake, flooded by damming up rivers, and that. And so, there was hilltops that are now little islands, and they're full of monkeys. So we went out there and we saw three species of of, of monkey: the howler monkeys, the white-faced capuchins and the uh jeffroy's tamarin which they call the tt monkey out there but it's mm-hmm, different those are all good uh, yeah um tt mono or mono or whatever they however they call it but mm-hmm. they come right down onto the boat cuz we feed them fruit and they know that so if you ever go down there on your own get the morning uh tour because by the afternoon they're all full of of mangoes and and bananas and just sitting there. they don't they don't come. they actually land came down onto the uh the roof of the boat, the, 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 the canvas, um, uh, top and jump down and, you know, would take grapes out of your hand. <laughs> it's sure, like sure. did, so. It was pretty wild, but the good news was I was able to get pictures of them in the trees when they weren't, weren't on the boat. Cause that setting wasn't really ideal. Oh, uh, no. Uh, then we went over to, to Bocas and we went to the Tranquilo Bay eco lodge for four nights and, Had that same tour that you came on uh, in 21. Mm -hmm. Um, Excellent. Again, sloths were all over the place. Um, Again, I don't think there's a better place to see sloths in all of Central America than this island. Um, Because not only are they there, but they're out in the open and active during the day. They just don't have predators like you will see on the mainland. I did see a sloth in Panama City at the nature park there. And it was just what you might think. Way up high in a tree. Just a ball of sure. Um, not so with the ones on um, on the island. Where, you know, they were just out in the open doing their thing. We all got photos of them, so that was fun. Um,
1: yeah, the the cool thing about sloths is, or there were two sides to it. Other places you're you're likely just to see the little ball way up in the tree. Those aren't the least bit photogenic. But on that island that you went to they're down low and close and they are wonderfully photogenic. Yes. You get their expressions, they get tight shots of their faces, babies, you know, it's, it's great stuff.
0: It was, it was incredible. And, and there's both species either. <laughs> they can move though. They, you know, surprisingly They know. can move surprisingly quickly. quickly. It's just, you don't think about it. I know. It's uh, just, they normally don't No, They, they normally don't do any of that. Um, no, uh, we had a two-toed sloth this year and it was in a low cocoa tree. It was in, you know, it was in the middle of the tree. We had to like go around the branches, but it was maybe five feet off the ground. It was right there at, at eye level. And, um, and then the mama and the baby came down and I got them from, you know, maybe 10 feet away just the same thing. Eye level shooting. It was, it was amazing. So we had a, a very productive, uh, photo safari and um, I'm looking forward to going back. I have saved the date, October of 24. It'll be same thing yeah, where we have now, a, and we're going to have a day in Panama city on each end to do excursions as well. So that'll be fun. Right.
1: So now this time you you were using your Z nine with the subject detection and the one. Oh yeah. With the teleconverter. Last time I was using a camera with subject detection, but you were not. Right. How did that change things
0: for you? Um,
1: was mostly change, an improvement subtle
0: change um yeah. well there, there was a few times where i could definitely say yes i couldn't have done this Problem. i wouldn't have mm-hmm. gotten the shots there was a toucan that came flying over uh, far away when we were on our canal boat trip um no way i would have gotten that in the frame mm-hmm. uh, you know with um with the uh Z7 that i was using last time or even my D850 from years past um, one thing i did notice uh is that subject detection can easily be fooled um, when you're shooting upwards into treetops and there's all these leaves and there's birds sure. silhouetted and in and, and, and so what I found, as as we both know and we've talked about before, the cameras that have the AI-based subject detection focusing systems are fantastic, but you've got to be able to know how to override it into a more traditional either a different focus Quick. mode or turn off the subject detection. And I've configured my Z9 now to have a button where it turns off subject detection and just puts me into a regular, you know, what's called the 3D tracking. So it's like a single point that will track us track an object, but okay. it doesn't use the subject recognition. So it's just a dumb right. a dumb and that that works pretty well most of the time. I can quickly toggle that. There's other ways you can do it, it just depends on 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 your camera system like you know, if you were using a, um, I, I think one of your other bodies like a Sony, or something, you would just choose a pattern that doesn't include auto, you know, subject detection, mm-hmm. and and switch to that other mode, whatever it takes. But you got to be able to do it because there are situations, especially in clutter, where the autofocus system just doesn't know where to look. So you have to yeah. to give it that. But it was yep. it was wonderful, um, and you know it was interesting this time. Uh, the last time I went, I was using the 500. F56 PF Nikon lens with mm-hmm. a teleconverter. This time I brought the 100 to 400 and the one X teleconverter. Mm-hmm. And right before the trip, <laughs> we were, I was playing around with stuff, you know, cause we've been, cause this will be the second topic, right? The second thing we talk about, mm-hmm. I started playing around with higher ISOs because the downside of using this combination is, you know, the teleconverter, it, it, it really puts you at F8. So I was doing a combination sure. of things. I was teleconverter was on most of the time. I'm zoomed out to 400 and then I'm using DX or, you know, 1.5 X crop mode. This was giving me an effective angle of view as, as though I were using an 800 millimeter 840, I think was, you know, mm-hmm. effectively and I was still even having to crop sometimes from that, you know, little birds right. more than more than twenty feet away, and you're you're really into into uh, those zones. Um, and, and the the thing that I realized is that the kinds of settings you need to have for small for wildlife and birds is you really need to be at um, a th- at least a thousandth of a second, if not faster. Because at those kind of and we're hand holding, because even with the VR mm-hmm. systems and stuff that are that are available, you'll get some camera shake um, blur if you're not careful, mm-hmm. even at faster shutter speeds. And at f eight, I was shooting pretty much wide open um, all the time. And mm-hmm. then I was in high s as I will say, I was in high ISO land. You know, very few of my images were were lower ISOs. You know, lower than. Than 1,600, I don't know what, I'll have to go and look, mm-hmm. right? But it was not uncommon for it to go to certainly 12,800 or the top value, 25,600 or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So before the trip, we were playing around with some of these denoising tools, which we'll talk about in a minute. And I was getting very good results from that. And so I did something yeah. on this trip that I've never done before, which was in my auto ISO settings where you can cap the highest iso. Mm-hmm. I set it to high one. <laughs> I just said, you know, if you need to go above the spec. It didn't do that very often. There were a few where I was as high as like 30,000, you know. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Most of those images were were usable. Uh and in fact, I have some at 12,800 which was unheard of iso territory um which absolutely got cleaned up and sharpened and with, with some of this stuff. And it was interesting because I get this all the time from, from clients, uh, you know, well, I'll use auto ISO, but I need to cap it at say 6,400 or hmm. whatever. And I said, but where's the value in that? If now I understand the rationale, the rationale was well, okay. For certain subjects, whatever, you know, you, you know, the you have your tolerance for image noise and you know and certainly with newer especially the full frame cameras you know 6400 is no big deal most of the time Mm -hmm. it's easy but you are then restricting the shutter speeds that you can use especially start putting things like teleconverters and you know things that cause light (laughs) light loss lower lenses which is a trend in the mirrorless right it's most people aren't walking around with a 600 F4. If you are, you better be bionic <laughs> because, yeah. you know,
1: I'll, I'll just say that with the newer noise reduction software in particular, I don't worry about shooting my own one micro four thirds camera at 12,800. I just don't. Well,
0: that, that was just it. And it was 12,800 was cleaning up beautifully. And mm-hmm. Where, where i was running into problems was in those dark situations with smaller birds it wasn't the noise it was getting the subject properly focused because you know that's where the focus yeah. system is pushing it to its limits doesn't always get on the, the target quite as well as you might like and that's a combination of things like using a teleconverter and you know all, all of that stuff but you know other manufacturers are bringing out lenses that are like i mean look what canon's got they've got that you know, these lenses are like, what, F11 or something like that, or F Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, so if you're using something like that, you have to be prepared to be up in high ISO land. So that's the bad news. The good news is that it's not as scary as it used to be. I mean, I think there was a real hesitation for us coming up through this whole journey that we've been on. I mean, you and I've been doing photography an awful long time. And we've used cameras that produced noise, you know, and uh, we've used cameras that were not good above 400 or even 800, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is not a problem anymore. Um, It it, it, it isn't. Um, The trick though, is to take advantage of the software tools for, for noise. Now, is there any other thing you wanted to ask me about Panama before we just talk, go seg right into that? Because I think, I think that's. I mean, no, it was a great trip. It was just I mean, we, more a matter
1: of where there big any any big moments of enlightenment.
0: Well, I think that was the one profound things. The profound yeah. thing was, you know, what I'm going to let my camera just have pretty much free reign over ISO, that's which one. I've always said in the past, but it's but it was really true this time. You know, you'd get higher ISO images, and they wouldn't necessarily. I mean, they do mm-hmm. suffer from, you lose dynamic range. I mean, there, there are reasons that lower ISOs are better. I mean, there's that's still true. Um, but I decided to try out some of the newer software um, and stuff that we've talked about before. And then while we were there, <laughs> while I was there, well, thank goodness for the, the main lodge building has Wi-Fi in it. So I was able to download some of these updates. So... But for example, that just you didn't
1: up. you didn't end up concluding that because of the good noise reduction software out there and everything that maybe it would be nice to have a smaller lighter kit
0: because you can push those pretty well. Well, that was a different story. Maybe one we can think about <laughs> some other time. But no, it's true. And and, All and, right. and, and, and no, but um, we'll do that as a different different episode. Be a, I'll be diplomatic about it. But my. One of my clients, my dad was with me. He was a client. He came down. He was shooting his OM1, mm-hmm. which is something I suggested mm-hmm. to him. Um, mm-hmm. And frankly, the hesitation on a we, we've talked about small format camera, smaller formats, mm-hmm. and the distinct advantages that they have for small kits. And I honestly mm-hmm. would say that if you're gonna go a small kit. The Olympus OM system is the smallest one. I mean, that's the, you know, anything smaller than that, and you're in compact camera territory, and, you know, maybe you don't want to. What's the hesitation been? How well do those smaller smaller sensors, how well do they do with noise? And they don't have as much resolution. So, mm-hmm. you know, going through that, looking at my dad's photos, and he's only processed some of them, I can say there was no issue, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, the resolution is still true. It's less, but you know what? You take a Z- Z9, you shoot it in DX crop, and guess what? That's just under 20 megapixels, Ooh. and you crop in. So what he was doing um, was using a Olympus 100 to 400, which on micro four-thirds is the equivalent of 200 to 800. And so he was effectively shooting the same rig as what I had. I had, okay, so 840, that's negligible difference. Mm-hmm. My kit weighed six and a half pounds. His weighed under four, three. and mm-hmm. So let's just say that there was a, a lot of uh, thinking that came out from that trip in terms of, well, in terms terms of future kits, you know, but, well, we'll, we'll but, a future but, mode, but I mean, it's, so. it's, it is, I'm, um, I, I would have too much fun teasing you at this point. So, no, it's all it. good. But it's 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 the thing, and there's a reason why I recommend that camera to a certain segment of my clients, or, or those cameras, sure. because because frankly, yeah. um, and it was and the OM one is 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 uh, has those um, subject detection features, you know. Whereas before they mm-hmm. didn't have that. So I mean, there was there was some technological stuff but i think with with mm-hmm. the newer newer cameras that they've come out with um it is really uh a compelling argument if you were traveling to have a smaller camera you know carry yeah. on weights and and all you know just just not even just considering what you're carrying in the field but just what you have to pack that that is a huge yeah. thing and the software we, we're going to talk about is is lowered that barrier now to the point where it is an, a is noise reduction always been good, but the new stuff is even better. I would say, and it really yeah. it really pulls away some of that hesitation. Let's just say, to yeah. to think. So about an
1: interesting kit. thing happened while you were in Panama, and I know you got a chance to try it down there because you were able to up, update your Lightroom and stuff. But Adobe added a new AI based noise reduction module. Yes. And I'll just say my own experience with it so far is it works really, really well. It does not include things like AI based sharpening. I think that will be something that comes along later uh, as I think that's a certainty, Um, but it does have the AI based noise reduction. And what I found is it, it works great. If you're not needing to have the thing sharpen up your image in some exotic way you know just more Mm -hmm. the manual ways Mm -hmm. we've done it in the past it's fabulous and it's quick and the workflow is super easy so we've got another thing out there competing with um, stuff like um, dxo which works very well also and then there's the topaz and on one stuff yep that's good stuff maybe a little bit different purpose at least in our mind and I thought yeah. maybe that's what we'll go through is how are we finding those things work in different stages of the workflow and what have become go to things for us and what are not. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and there's workflow ramifications of all these things, um, all these products. Exactly. What I find is that if your goal, if your objective is noise reduction, you know, the first question is, um, oh, let me let me back up. With all of these products, when they're operating in RAW, including Lightroom Camera RAW, okay, when they do this denoising algorithm, the the way you use it on a RAW file is that it is going to generate a a, a copy of your image, and it's going to be in DNG format. That's how it's they work. It's just a RAW format. It's just a RAW, and it's fine. There's no big deal. You can... You can edit it in, in the yep. same way you would otherwise with, with some caveats. And the caveats are that it's going to come back with lens corrections, potentially um, with uh, noise and potentially sharpening or you know noise reduction baked into the file. So there will no longer be a reversible thing, which is different than when you just bring your raw file natively into into your application. You can turn noise reduction off. You can turn sharpening off. OK, all of those things. Even Lightroom now does it. So when you do the denoise thing and you click on it, it's under the enhance function. Um, it generates a DNG. And then you can mm-hmm. still use the legacy noise reduction sliders if, in sharpening if you, if you, uh, if you want to. Um, what I have found is that they all have little little quirks. And, you know, workflow-wise... I'd say the Lightroom one is the easiest to use because you're just staying in your Lightroom catalog. By far, that's yeah. just simple. Um, DxO um, Pure RAW three, and I just got an update to three point one. So if you have that, you'll want to update it because it is better. Um, it's faster and it fixed some some little glitches. Um, that one is good, but <laughs> it returns your file into a subfolder and another. You know, it, it's unnecessary in my opinion. It just makes the workflow a little, little to Create a collection. Yeah, it's just I don't know uh, why. and you can use it as a standalone uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm. The the challenge that I've had with um, the Topaz and this is just a unique to me is that the Topaz Photo AI product, which is also very good, it doesn't read the high efficiency RAW format from the Z9 natively yet. So while mm-hmm. you can use it in the RAW. You've got to jump through some hoops on your own side and it creates some workflow problems. You've got to create a DNG and then you got to, and it just leads into more hassle than it's worth what I've found. And I haven't tried the um, On1 program, but I believe you have. How does that one work?
1: I think if you're looking at the noise reduction results, it, it works well. It had some rough things early on um, where it was creating a lot of artifacts, those got cleaned up via updates a while ago. So at this point, I think it works pretty well. Okay. Certainly, if someone is using the On1 Photo Raw program, they'll get it for free if they've got a current yeah, subscription. Built in, I right? would say if that's what you're doing, yeah, absolutely use Same it. with uh, uh,
0: if you're using good. a DXO Photo Lab. Wouldn't that be the same thing? you get the um, DXO yeah. engine in there as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, each of these products does a slightly different thing you know now but but if you're talking about just the noising the the denoise
1: question right so focusing on that you know topaz and on one's noise reduction stuff can be applied to a dng just like we were talking about with dxo and with the adobe thing the problem i have with them is i find they screw up a lot of images just enough that they're irritating (laughs) and it's not something where you can say it absolutely works perfectly with, you know, all of these brands of cameras. It doesn't, some, it's more problematic and what happens is you end up with these white balance shifts and exposure shifts Mm -hmm. um, when you push them off an image off to one of those programs and then have it return. And then you're going back and saying, okay, looks like it went greenish now i might need to dial in some magenta
0: right that's a hassle
1: oh the exposure is off by a half stop or more i'll have to get that back to where it was and you just simply don't have to do that right in my experience with dxo or the adobe product
0: none of that so so let me just let me just throw this out there you know they all have slight Mm -hmm. nuance with what they do um you know so like adobe right now with its ai it's just noise reduction That's it. I mean, it will try to enhance details a little bit, but it's just a noise reduction tool. DxO has automated noise reduction and if you want to add in, it will do some sharpness adjustments, which we mentioned, and it'll also do the lens corrections. So things like chromatic aberration distortion and vignetting not a big deal with the kind of shots that i was doing in panama because it was telephoto lenses which really don't have those issues but you could understand why it might be useful and
1: lightroom does it too
0: yeah some wide angle lenses but i would i would i would mention that if you would we're going to use the DxO product when the DNG returns, you can't enable the Lightroom lens corrections. So you'll want to use them if it's a wide angle lens, Um, right? Photo AI does lens corrections, but it doesn't use the same module. It also does sharpening and up resing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll talk about the strengths of those. And then you said the uh, on one is just simply a noise reduction as well. What would you say about um, quality wise? You know what are you seeing? Because that's the real question, right? Is any one of them better or or, or worse? Or, you know, because there's there's workflow considerations, there's feature considerations, and then of course the end of the story is how well do they denoise in the first place? You know, that's if we're asking them to do that.
1: Yeah, what I would say is all of those that we mentioned work pretty well for denoising. You can find some slight differences in how it each product handles transition zones from a subject to a background and things like that, but they're pretty small, honestly. And sometimes you can even tweak some of those things and, and kind of equalize them. So I, at this point, I really wouldn't be looking for one of them to have appreciably different noise reduction characteristics. And, And honestly, it might be different next
0: week. (laughs) Well, yeah, things get updated all the time. They're
1: they're close. When I compared them,
0: when I compared them, I did see a slight difference. I saw a little bit better tone ramping in out-of-focus backgrounds with what I get out of the Adobe Lightroom and what I'm getting out of the DXO. Not that the others were bad. It was just there were some noticeable things. And this Mm -hmm. generally was happening in Topaz when you were using their stronger noise reduction algorithm which is more the AI stuff um mm. you can but they allow you to dial it down uh DXO it's just automated you know there's right. no there's no setting slider for noise reduction amounts but what i will say is that it makes it pretty pretty uh, easy to use you just turn it you just do it <laughs> and there it is and and what comes out tends to be outstanding where you run into problems with it tends to be on the sharpness side you can run into things where it over sharpens stuff in some cases badly so you got to be very careful about what settings you use because again those get baked in adobe gives you a slider the default setting is it goes from zero to 100 the default is 50 um one interesting thing you know that it uh has you know you can uh, you can preview the noise reduction you know as you move that slider so that's kind of nice too um mm-hmm. but they all do a very good job um and from a front-end workflow perspective with noise reduction i find it is better to run that on a raw file than than on an exported tiff or something at least that's what i'm seeing
1: yeah and i would what i would say is it varies um, with the product and the brand of camera like mm-hmm. right now You don't want to be pushing Fuji X-Trans files through Topaz and have it generate a DNG. Yes, it will do it. They -hmm. will say it's completely functional, and it comes out like mud in some cases.
0: DXO does a better job there.
1: Smudging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the DXO stuff works great. The Adobe stuff works great. Right, so it depends
0: on your camera, you know? Yeah. And, and you could argue that if you took a raw file and you pushed it three stops to the right because it was radically underexposed, you might mm-hmm. have an advantage of sending that as a TIFF to a product. And I think there is an advantage. You might see that there. Thing. I haven't seen too much issue, but I haven't really pushed it too hard either. I, 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 I will just say stuff. I, I'll, I'll just say that um, the combination of those tools, I mean, I have a hummingbird image from 12,000 ISO, you know, almost 13,000 that If I showed it to you and I didn't tell you what or have the XSIF, you would think I shot it at ISO 200. Yeah. Because it was that good.
1: The ones I'm actively using right now are the Adobe one, Mm -hmm. DXO Pure Raw primarily.
0: And that's version Uh, three because there was an update. Yeah.
1: Version three. And then the latest version of the Topaz stuff, Photo AI or Mm -hmm. their other products. And for me, Topaz is very much a back-end product. That's when I would use it. And it just has to do with some of its strengths and weaknesses. It will operate off of a, of a TIFF, for example. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a raw file. So it can be a completed image in most respects that just needs noise reduction and sharpening applied. And it can work well for that. Um, I don't like using it the front and i think the adobe and DxO products are better
0: one, the one of the things you have to be aware of with all these things is you know how well do their default you know what they call the autopilot in topaz's case how well do those mm-hmm. work and sometimes they're just too aggressive um most and, of them are too aggressive you know and, and i will say in this in the case of the you know uh, dxo where the noise reduction doesn't have any sliders you know, where it's just an algorithm, and you choose the one that you want mm-hmm. to use. I'm surprised how well it, it comes out because it does a great job. And I'm not, I don't get a preview of it, so I gotta trust it. You, know, you have to, you have to trust that plugin. But, but and the I'm watch able here,
1: to. It was DxO is sharpening.
0: Correct. Right. And and if you have, but you can disable that. So um, what yes. I find, if you are using that product, just,
1: the you, problem is you can't
0: preview it. No, you can't. So you have to err on the side of being conservative. By either disabling sharpening or or setting it to its soft setting, or yeah, redoing it. Now on the flip side, I'm like you; I really have gotten good results sending TIFF, you know, nearly finished, what you might call just capture sharpened or barely sharpened images to Topaz and using its AI-based sharpening stuff to to recover things from soft, especially when things are slightly out of focus. Uh, and you can, Mm -hmm. and what I love about it is that you can apply those adjustments selectively with a brush and they've added a regular brush now. So like I was going back through older photos and this was kind of what drove me to my ISO thing. I had a sloth photo from two years ago when we went 25,800 ISO cleaned Mm -hmm. it up just fine, but the eyes weren't in focus completely. This was because I was Mm -hmm. using a camera, it was dark and I was using a camera that did not have. Eye detection, okay. So, what did it focus mm-hmm. on? The nearest object, which was the tip of its nose. It wasn't out of focus, sure. but it was a little bit soft. I could paint that in and crank up the sharpening, and my goodness, did it come back! And it yeah. was it was outstanding. So that was so yeah. the combination of these tools, which then got updated as I was traveling, it, it, that led me to my decision on this trip to let my camera go to a higher ISO and just and just embrace the moment, <laughs> just to kind mm-hmm. of and just and 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 i now have a little foothold and a little you know tent set up in uh, high ISO land and i have you know an apartment there that i can rent out on occasion um now it might lead to other decisions we can talk about later on another episode but um but for for the, you know for for last week's takeaway that that was really amazing it 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 really does take away that fear so don't be afraid of these uh of these isos one thing though i think we should point out that actually there's two things one is that ai based tools they use a lot of gpu horsepower from your computer and if you're using an older computer that doesn't have a fast graphics card be prepared to sit around for a little while waiting for these images to process so you don't want to necessarily do it on every single image you have this is going to be on your winners. Your your real, you know, the ones that you want to print or or you need I to think enlarge that's and crop true. in. true. Just it's no true.
1: How powerful your computer is. Don't don't waste your time creating new DNGs that take up space for no
0: reason. Right. Just
1: only on the ones that you're going to print larger
0: or you need to crop in more. I mean, on, that's whatever. really what I would. Say. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, social media stuff.
0: So game. so we both have relatively new like we bought in the last year uh Macs with good GPUs. Um mm-hmm. I clocked in running DXO on a Z9 file. One of the reasons I do like the DXO 3.x product is because it does read those high efficiency raw files which made its workflow was a no brainer for me cuz I could use that. And then of course Adobe does too. So it was nice to see them add that noise reduction. But it takes about 36 seconds, give or take, to process mm-hmm. one 45 megapixel raw file. And that's with everything turned on. I can shorten that time by turning off the lens correction pieces, cut it about in half. This is a fast computer. Um, my other clients would run them, you know, if it's an older computer, you might wait a minute or two or, or longer. You know, you could have to wait one, even two or three minutes to process an image, depending on how many pixels it has. I I will say I've seen ones that run more like five or six even. Yeah. So So if you want to live in high ISO land and use these tools, having a good computer is going to be something to think about. You know, we all But You can certainly
1: use them selectively.
0: Exactly. You just have to be aware of it. And then the last thing I want to talk about, we, we mentioned a little bit already. But, um, you know, revelations and things, Um, your sharpening settings might be very different after you run through one of these tools. Uh, And you have to you have to just go with your you need to throw out any preconceived values for sliders for like amounts and and radii and things like that after you run your image through the uh, denoising algorithms. Uh, you might find yourself using much stronger sharpening settings than we would have ever advocated in the past. You're finding that yeah.
1: too. Instead of being around 40, you might be up around 100 or 120. That's yeah. whatever it takes.
0: Right. And those arbitrary limits that were rules of thumb that were valid, you know, in a certain context, a certain time, and a certain, you know, type of image um, they don't necessarily hold true anymore. Just like limiting your camera to 6,400 ISO for auto ISO. Mm-hmm. You, you, if you were limiting your sharpening settings based on preconceived you know, like presets or whatever you might have had, you might find those changing up a lot. I certainly have cranked yep. things up a lot stronger on those denoised images, and they're fine. Yep. You just have to be yep, unafraid of it uh anything else uh for uh no
1: i think i think we've yammered on long enough probably
0: well like i said don't forget to join us in colorado this fall this october
1: it'll be a blast
0: get get one of those last three seats if um if you're interested in that um before they sell out and uh, until next time happy shooting
1: all right bye-bye